All right, how are you guys doing this morning? No, 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 a little bit more now. Come on, how are you guys doing this morning? That's right. Before, uh, you're welcome. Before I uh, dive into the teaching, I wanted to share a couple things, a little bit about myself, and I want to talk a little bit about expectations. Uh, probably the most important thing about me is my family. I've been married 19 years uh, to my wife, Jen. That's yeah, a little stretch. We got married when I was like seven, and then... Uh, uh, um, we actually have two daughters. Uh, my oldest is 18 and my youngest is uh, about to turn 16. They're actually on the screen. You can see them there. And uh, that's my family. They all look identical, don't they? they and they, they look like my wife, like I was not even a part of this thing. Like uh, I was like a blank slate that my wife was just painting on, right? Um, I'm entirely recessive, I guess. Uh, and and uh, so that's my family. I didn't uh, come to the faith till I was about 20 years old. And I felt called to ministry right away. I've been a pastor for 17 years. And uh, uh, currently I work at a church called 12 Stone Church in Atlanta, uh, Georgia. We, we, um, uh, it's warmer there, by the way, in case you're wondering. Um, but only by a few degrees. But it, nevertheless, uh, it's cold here, you guys, just so you know. Um, so our church, we had a big uh, day yesterday. We actually, uh, we fulfilled a two-year vision to launch five campuses. We, we started with, we had four, and we launched five. So now we are a nine-campus church. We had just about 20,000 people, uh, just over 20,000 people uh, yesterday. So it was a huge moment for us, and I stayed and waited for that, and then uh, came out to this. My role is leadership development at the church. I do uh, a lot of stuff with our staff and other churches and what have you, and then I also uh, run a residency program uh, that helps young people learn how to be pastors, uh, which is why I know some of you that are here. I love uh, leadership uh, because I love the gospel, and I believe that, um, that leadership development is directly tied to kingdom advancement because better leaders lead better churches, which reach more people for Jesus, and that matters to me. And so that's why I love what I do. Ultimately, it's, a, it's about the kingdom. So that's about me. Let's talk a little bit about uh, expectations. I believe that uh, what we expect God to do this summit matters, and what you expect matters. If you expect God to do big things in your heart and soul, then you will walk in differently. You will listen differently. You will pray differently. You will apply differently. And God uh, will do the big things that you expect. And if you expect God to do, you know, not much, then you will walk in differently, you will pray differently, you will listen differently, you will apply differently, and you will also be right. God will do very little in your life, but it's not because he wasn't willing to. It's because you were unavailable to him because you did not expect him to. I believe that what you expect God to do for you this summit matters. And uh, so, you know, I mean, just a thought, you never really know what God wants to do and uh, you want to be careful that you don't miss out. God uses moments like this to change people's lives uh, and to change people's semesters, to change people's trajectories. And so uh, let me just pray. Will you actually stand and let's just pray together and ask that God would help elevate our expectations as we dive into this summit. So Father, won't you uh, open our hearts to you today and uh, for the next few days, God, we, we just tell you that we're available to you, whatever you want to do in us. For some, God, you, some of us are drifting in our faith. And uh, perhaps you would use this summit, God, to draw us back to you. Some of us 
are uh, just kind of apathetic and casual. We've known what it is to be white hot, but that's not us today. God, won't you come and restore zeal for you? Perhaps, God, some, they just need to a reminder, a fresh uh, touch and reminder of how high and wide and deep is your love for them. Won't you come and do that? And who knows, God, there are surely in a crowd this size, there are many who uh, have never bowed to you, have never uh, surrendered to Christ. And perhaps, God, you would be stirring them. You never know. And so we just invite you here. God, we lift our hearts to you. We open ourselves up to what you might do. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and uh, grab a seat. Let me tell you where we're going for the summit. It revolves around one word, and that word is never. And uh, here's kind of how it came about. In, in September, I began to pray, uh, you know, and ask God to help me, you know, with this summit and think about what we're going to talk about. As you can imagine, speaking to this many people uh, this many times is, uh, comes with great eagerness and great anxiety, right? No one is good six times in three days. Um, zero people on earth are that good. And so, uh, you know, I began to pray and ask God what he might uh, uh, want me to say. And I said, God, will you give me a word? And God said, never. Uh, Not audibly, but clearly. And I was thinking, like, God, are you telling me you're never going to tell me the words that you want me to say or or, or what? And he said, the word for some, it is never. And I was like, God, I I wanted more than, I said a word, like, give me a word, but I meant, like, a lot of words. You know what I mean? I didn't mean a word. And he said, the word is never. So uh, that's the word for summit. The word is never. The word is what? Okay, now like you mean it. The word is what? All right. I've been studying, reflecting, thinking about the word never since September. According to the dictionary, never means not at any time, not in any circumstance, not ever. Never is uncompromising. If you uh, do something just sometimes... You can't say you never do it. If, you do, if you've done something just once, you can't say you've never done it. To say never and to really mean it requires resolve, strength, determination, and consistency. What we might call grit. Never is a gritty word. It takes a lot. Let's have some fun with that thought. How many of you are good students? How many would say you're pretty good students? All right, a few, only a few of you. That's impressive, you guys. How many of you, keep your hands raising, how many of you have never got a bad grade? All right, see that? That's what never does. How many of you have never got a C, right? Some of you are going, C's a pretty good grade. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's why you didn't raise your hand, you guys. How many of you are good drivers? Raise your hand. I have so many things I want to say and I won't. Um, all right, how many of you have never been in an accident? Put your hand down. Right. All right, last one. How many of you are vegetarians? Where's the vegetarians? There's like, okay, how many of you vegetarians never eat meat? Yeah, see that hand go down over there? Yeah, that's what I thought. It's hard to say never and really mean it. Most of the times, I've been listening for the word never. Most of the times when somebody says never, they're exaggerating. I will never graduate, right? You never talk to me. She never stops talking. You get, you get it. That's, all that's from right out of my house. I need counseling, I know. <laughs> the kind of grit to say never and really mean it is rare. I want to tell you about a conversation I had where 
uh, it, it was, uh, it became obvious that, I, man, I, I really like this word. I was, uh, I do a little bit of running, and I, I do something that uh, is called ultra marathon running. Uh, and I was uh, running in the fall, I was running a race, a 50-mile race, um, and uh, in the mountains. And right at mile uh, 35, I ended up running uh, with this uh, lady. And, and of course, there's people everywhere. It's not weird, okay? Um, but we're running together, and we're talking, and I ran from her with, from mile 35 to mile uh, 42. And if you're saying, that guy, I think he might be bragging about ultra, I totally am bragging about it. If you ran that much, you would too. <laughs> and as we're talking, she said, uh, I've, I've run a mile every day for the last, uh, you know, since 2003. I've run at least one mile every day. And I said, every day? She said, every day, I never miss. So I, you know, caught my attention. I said, what if you're sick? She said, then I run sick. I said, what if you're hurt? She said, then I run hurt. I said, what are you doing tomorrow? Because we're, you know, we're running a 50-mile race. I wasn't running for a month after that. <laughs> I wasn't even walking for a month after that. She said, you don't get it. I never miss. Never. I run every day, no matter what. That's grit. There's not a circumstance, not an occasion, not a condition, not a situation, not a time where she doesn't run. She never misses. That's over 10 years. So I think back in September when God gave me the word never, it was his intention for the next three days to challenge us to this kind of grit. That we could say never so if you need some kind of handle on, you know, what we're going to be talking about the next few days, uh, kind of loosely around the word never, but I think collectively the teachings will form a powerful challenge for us to, to grow in the grit necessary to follow Christ. That's where we're going this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about the grit to never let go, and we're going to be talking about the promises of God. So the grit to never let go. Uh, when I was younger in the faith, uh, I would have thought uh, that the promises of God were like fluffy encouragement that, that you see on like your grandma's wall, you know, or something like a plaque, uh, something like that. And I, I would have maybe even uh, kind of dismissed them as being unnecessary, irrelevant, just give me the theology and the meat or whatever. And uh, the, the more that I've grown in the faith, the more that I see that promises are a necessary, uh, knowing what to do with them is a necessary part of our followership of Jesus. And they're not even fluffy, they're gritty. See, God has given us promise. What a promise is is an assurance. Uh, a, a promise is a uh, declaration that he's actually going to do something. It's a self-commitment. Think about God has made self-commitments to you. He has told you he's going to do things, and you can count on them. They're dependable. You can build your life on God's promises. They're as powerful as he is. The promises God has given us are meant to give us assurance, stability, and hope. When everything else is falling in your life, the promises of God are not falling. And if you hold on to the promise, you don't have to fall either. Never let go of the promises of God. That's how you follow God in a falling world. I think that's what Peter was trying to tell us. In Second uh, Peter chapter one, if you have a Bible, you can open it uh, to Second Peter chapter one, and we're going to look at verses three and four. If you don't have a Bible, this will appear on the screens. After years of walking with Christ, uh, both physically and uh, by the Spirit, 
Peter, reflecting, I think, on the failures and highs and lows of his life, came to find the promises as central to his faith. Let's read uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Now there's a lot in those two verses, more than we have time to unpack this morning. But at the core, the Apostle Paul is trying to uh, remind us of something that it's important not to forget. Never let go of the promises of God. It's how you follow God in a fallen world. And I think if Peter were here today, he would urge us to elevate the promises of God in our life, in our faith. He would tell us that the promises of God are as reliable and as trustworthy as God himself is reliable and trustworthy. That you can count on them no matter what. He would tell us about all the times that he had failed. All the times that things around him were falling apart. All the times that he had made promises to God and those promises failed. Remember Peter told God, I will never run away from you. And uh, you know, I'll, never, I'll never flee. If everyone else runs, I'll never run. And then he ran, broke his promise to God. And he went back to fishing. Because he thought it was over. But God had made promises to, them, to him and it was not over. And I think Peter would tell us, you can, ne- you, you can hold on to the promises of God. They're trustworthy. They're reliable. Never let go. If Peter were here, I think he would tell us that things have a way of falling apart in this life. They have a way of falling. And I think Peter would even confess that he had a way of falling. He would fall. And I think he would say, but the promises have never fallen. To Peter, the promises were great and precious because they were what saw him through. Because he had learned to hold on to them and never let go. Never let go of the promises. It's how you follow God in a fallen world. What's true is uh, this world is falling. That's just a fact. It's part of what makes it unpredictable. You never really know what's going to fall. I was talking to a young man in December right around Christmas about his girlfriend they had been dating for a while, and they were like, uh, according to Facebook statuses, like everything was going great with them. You know what I mean? Um, they were like annoyingly happy uh, on Facebook. You know what I'm talking about? Um, just, super, just so many pictures of them so excited together all the time. Do you guys have that? Is, am I talking to myself? Um, does anyone have any friend who's just annoyingly happy about being in a relationship? Anybody? All the single people? Yeah. And I was talking to him, and he was telling me about uh, going to pick a ring. And, and uh, that he was going to propose to her on Valentine's Day, and they would get married in the summer, and they had been talking about it, and uh, it seemed solid. And two days later, she broke up with him. She said, uh, Jesus doesn't want me to date you. <laughs> Which is the worst, right? Chicks be crazy. I'm telling you, that's crazy. Has any guy ever had that? You can't say because she's in here, huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, Jesus doesn't want me to date you is church language for I don't like you anymore. 
and I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> things fall. Things fall. And what you can know is this semester, things are going to fall in your life. You don't know what. It's unpredictable. But it is predictable. Things are going to fall. It could be a relationship like my friend. It could be a friendship. It could be a career path or a job you thought you had locked in. It could be your finances that fall. It could be like big, you know, global things like the economy or the government. It could be things that are very just disappointing like your church or a pastor. It falls. These things fall. It could be very personal. Your family could fall. It happens. Your mom or dad can fall. People fall, right? It could be your health. It could be your faith. It could be your zeal for God. Your emotional intensity for God falls. These things fall. It's unpredictable what will fall, but it is predictable in this world something's going to fall. It's just the nature of the world. We live in a fallen world. It's why this teaching is so important. Just because everything is falling or something is falling doesn't mean you have to fall. Because the promises of God never fall. They never do. how you follow God in a fallen world. You never let go, right? Your house, I mean, we just uh, talked about it. You're this uh, Robbie, uh, whom I just met, right? Your house can fall. All your material possessions can fall. That can happen. But if you notice, the promises of God never fell for him. God has grit to keep the promise. Do you have grit to hold the promise? That's the question. Not in any time not in any circumstance, not in any condition, not ever let go of the promises of God. I learned this about nine years ago. My family went through a difficult season. Uh, it started on a, on a Sunday, um, and it went, uh, you'll see how it kind of unfolds. It was just, uh, just this crazy week where on Sunday, uh, I, we were driving to church. Our church was doing a huge uh, uh, like fundraising campaign, and my wife and I felt like God wanted us to give all kinds of money. And so we were like writing a check that was so big and so scary. And, and, uh, and as I'm driving to church, my car breaks down. So I'm driving with it, you know, I'm trying to give away all my money and the car breaks down. And, and uh, so I park it in this like rest stop on the freeway and get somebody else to give me a ride. By the way, that car was stolen and I've never seen it again. Uh, that was awesome, right? Um, and then we pledged all our money away. That was Sunday. On Monday, our refrigerator broke in our house and our air conditioning broke in our house, which was really awesome. On Tuesday, the other car broke down. We had two. And the other one broke down and our microwave broke. It was crazy. I was like, what was going on? I was, I was like holding our toaster, you know? Like, you, like <laughs> you can't have it. Like, if you take the toaster, we're going to die of starvation. This is our only, this is how we eat now. And then on Wednesday, we found uh, my wife's ovarian cancer. And uh, the bottom dropped out of, of my life and my family's life. And my wife lived through this. Uh, but that was obviously a difficult season for us. Um, there were moments, you know, we were sitting in a doctor's office, and she went through chemo and the whole bit, and there were, there were moments where you're sitting in a doctor's office, and the doctor's going to tell you if your wife's going to live or die. 
And, uh, and we're just sitting there. And, and you just, I'm telling you, it was unreal. And I was a mess. I was a mess. I was so mad at God uh, for this and what he was bringing us through. I was like, how, like, how could, like, after all we do for you, this is what you do for us. What is following you really, you know, God and got me. And I, and I just felt so betrayed by God. And I was so afraid. How would I ever raise two daughters, uh, um, you know, without her if, if that were to happen? And I was so, I was freaking out and I was falling and I, my whole world was spinning. And uh, my wife was as calm as you could ever imagine somebody to be. She was just a rock. And it made me mad, you know what I mean? Because I was freaking out and, and I, I can't believe she wasn't. And I just, and she said to me, she said, look, God loves us, and God has promised to take care of us. He's promised that he would take care of us. You don't have to be so afraid. You don't have to freak out. God's got us. And, and uh, honestly, I learned this lesson from my wife and from watching her and watching how she lives. And uh, the truth is God did have us. And so my wife taught me this lesson. When everything is swirling in your life, you know what I'm talking about? You ever have that? Everything is swirling? You don't have to swirl. You don't. Actually, perhaps one of the ways you bring glory to God is by sitting in the midst of great difficulty with great peace, which the world cannot do, but you can as a follower of Christ because God has made promises to you that can anchor your life and you don't have to swirl with the world. Said differently, when everything starts to fall or when things start to fall, you don't have to fall. You don't have to. You guys get the teaching this morning? You get it? That's the teaching. Uh, we're going to spend the rest of the time uh, talking about four promises. Uh, there's over like 350 in the Bible, according to scholars. I just want to talk about four, and I urge you to pick, pick one of the four or pick your own if it's not uh, one of these four isn't right. And make it like the promise that you're going to hold on to no matter what this semester you're just going to grab hold of it, write it down, meditate on it, you know, put it up and, and it, you know, do what Christians do and like write it on the mirror or put it in your car or whatever crazy thing you want to do. Uh, Spurgeon said this about the promises. He said, uh, if you would know experimentally the preciousness of the promises and enjoy them in your own heart, meditate upon them much, there are promises which like grapes in the wine press, if you tread them, the juice flows. That's what the pro if you tread it, if you will meditate on it, if you will own one, the juice will flow, will help you. God has given us promises that were meant to give us assurance. Here's, here's one, and we'll, there's a scripture for each one. This one comes out of Hebrews 13, 5. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. This is a promise of God. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter if you, you know, sometimes we feel like God is so far away. God is not a million miles away. He has promised to never leave you, to never forsake you. Maybe this is a promise you need to just own this semester. That you claim it as your own. Emotions fall, but God's promise to be with you has never fallen. You're not, a, uh, uh, you're not alone trying to figure out your life all by yourself. You have a Father who's with you. He's with you. And God has not promised that you would have no trouble or problems, right? He hasn't promised that. A lot of times we get disappointed in God because we expect him to live up to promises he never made. 
Actually, God promised you would have trouble. He just promised that he would be with you through the trouble. God has not left you. He's not leaving you. Maybe you need to claim that one. Here's the second promise from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will supply all our needs according to the riches of his glory in, in Christ Jesus. You know, God has promised you to give, every, to give you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do. You have everything you need to do everything God wants you to do. If you don't have it, it's because you don't need it. I'm not talking about self-reliance, self-sufficiency. Of course you got to be desperate. Of course you got to pray. Of course you got to go after that. But God is not withholding anything from you that you need. That was the sin of Eve, right? That she thought that God was holding back. Satan tempted her to say, maybe God is holding out on you. Maybe he's not so kind. Uh, there are times when you find yourself saying, God, why, why, do you, why did you give this person what you haven't given me? Why does she get a boyfriend and I don't? Why is that person so gifted and I'm not? Why are my finances so tight and that person's are so? I don't really know the answer. I know this. God has given you everything you need to do everything he wants you to do this semester. David said it differently. He said this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. You're not in want. That's the second. Perhaps you need to hold on to that. The third, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. Listen, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Here's a thought. You're not tempted beyond what you can bear. The power of God in you is greater than the pull of, God around, uh, pull of sin around you. It's a promise. It's a promise. You can hold on to this. You win your battle. You can win the battle over sin in your life. That's what this is saying. It's a promise. Maybe this semester you need to hold on to this. Maybe you're defeated by a sin. Maybe what you do privately when no one is looking, no one is around, is just owning you. The things in your heart, the things you do when you're alone, maybe you're incredibly discouraged and you feel like you can't win. And it's just not true. God has promised and maybe the first step to overcoming sin is believing that you can. Paul actually said that, consider yourself dead to sin but alive to Christ because God has promised you can overcome sin. Maybe you need to hold on to that one this semester. Last one comes from Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. And get this, God rewards those who earnestly seek him. Do you realize that God has promised you that? If you will earnestly seek him, meaning come to him over and over and over again, God will reward you. And ultimately, the reward is God himself. He is the reward. If you seek him, you will find him. God is the reward. But listen, you're seeking God. The time you spend chasing after God is not in vain. That's what this tells us. It's not in vain. It's not empty. It's not doing nothing. It's accumulating reward for you. It's a promise. Those who earnestly seek him will be rewarded. So those are just four of hundreds of promises in the Bible. And again, uh, the idea is that you would never let go of the promises of God. Never 
let go of the promises of God. It's how you follow God in a fallen world. So what I'm encouraging you to do this semester is just grab one. Just grab one and say, no matter what happens, no matter what circumstance, not in any condition, not in any circumstance, not in any time, not, in any, not for any reason, not at any circumstance, am I going to let go of this promise? I'm going to never let go. And you will discover that you can follow God in a world that is falling. That's what the power of the promises do for you. But it's going to take grit. It's going to take grit to do it. So we're done. Let's pray, and I'll meet you guys tonight. We'll talk about prayer. So, Father, uh, I thank you for these uh, that are here, and thank you for these great and precious promises. They're great, God, because they come from you, and they are precious because we need them so desperately. They're what see, they're what see us through. And so, Father, for every single person in this room, I pray that you would, you would uh, whether it was one of the four that we unpacked at the end here or whether it was uh, one of, you know, some other promise, that you would, you would elevate a promise that you have made to them, a truth that you have committed to them so that they would have assurance and hope and stability and so that when things fall in their life, they don't fall and they would bring you glory like my wife did. by having peace in the midst of great trouble. And so we bless you, God, and we love you. And uh, be with us this summit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, bless you guys. You're dismissed uh, for tonight.